What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride here to give you another edition of Holder's Handful. Hopefully by now you've had a chance to catch last week's episode so you have an idea of what we got going on here this season. And if you haven't had a chance to check out yesterday's tape, don't lie, make sure you do right after this. Marcus and I broke down the Raiders preseason game against the Rams, and I'll carry over some of our conversations from there over to here. Anyways, I thought it was another good showing for the Raiders. Obviously, they came away with a W against the Rams, so there's plenty of good things to talk about and plenty of good performances to talk about, so let's get to it. All right, I'll start things off in talking about the Raiders' offensive backfield, and the first guy that I want to single out is going to be Nate Hobbs. Hobbs has been the talk of all camp, right? I feel like every beat writer has been singing his praises, the coaching staff has been singing his praises, and I feel like the last couple of weeks we've really got to see that come to fruition. You know, he's been the preseason MVP, I think, for the Raiders. Definitely been their best defensive player so far. He's going out and making plays. And I think what's most impressive to me is his, are his instincts. You know, we're seeing him read screens and go up and blow, blow it up at the catch point. And I think that's two weeks in a row that we've seen play like that, plays like that from him. And we've seen him, you know, blitz and go get a sack out of the, from the nickel position playing the slot corner. And what's impressive to me about that is he's learning a new position, right? He played on the outside and at Illinois. He's shifting into the inside, playing more slot corner with the Raiders, which, I mean, we heard about it with Amick Robinson last year. That's not an easy switch. And we're seeing him doing that at a, at a really high level, which is kind of surprising because usually it's the mental part that takes a little longer, right? You know, the physical skills, those will transfer over, you know, how good of an athlete you are. That usually is going to be the easiest part of the transition. And the, the mental side of things is typically what takes a little bit longer because you need experience, you need reps. We're seeing him all the way already do that. And I think what impressed me this week is he showed off some ball skills, right? We, we saw him get a pass breakup at one point. And then we go see him getting a pick. Now, granted, 2-2 Atwell did have a step on him, and he got a little bit of a help with a bad ball from Bryce Perkins. But to see that makeup speed and see him be able to catch and catch up to a guy that runs a 4-3-2 and go up and high point a ball and make an interception, that's something that should get you fired up as a fan, especially at the nickel position that's been an issue for the Raiders for years to come. And I'll talk about that in more in a second. But the other thing I really want to give a little bit of credit for and take some credit away from myself here is... I want to talk about Hobbs on, on during the draft, right? Hobbs, when he was picked, I'll be honest, I was pretty upset about the Raiders with the pick. I know it was a fifth round pick, but from everything that I could read, everybody that I had followed in the draft community, you know, were not high on Nate Hobbs. You know, whether it was a, a film guy or a stats guy, either way, it was kind of ugly. And you know what? I got to give a lot of credit to Gruden and Mike Mayock for seeing this guy that struggled mightily at outside corner, now moving him into the inside, and so far he's throve. He's played really well, and honestly, he's probably going to be the week one starter now for the Raiders. Obviously, Nevin Lawson's suspension does you know, help that out, but I think even if Nevin Lawson was healthy, I think Hobbs would still be starting. I mean, Nevin Lawson, don't get me wrong, he's a solid starter. I think he gets a little bit more hate than he really deserves, but... At the end of the day, with Nate, with uh, Gus Bradley's system, you need guys that can create turnovers, right? And I'll talk about this a little bit more later, too. But we know what Nevin Lawson is. We know he's not a guy that's going to be able to get a lot of turnovers, right? I don't even think he has a pick in his six-year career. And we've seen Hobbs go make plays on the ball. And I think that's one of the biggest things that if you're looking at this team, you know what Levin Lawson is again. You know what Levin Lawson brings to the table. I think you've got to kind of throw this guy out into the fire and see what he can have because the biggest thing to me that he needs to show is he needs to show that he can do it 
or he can cover against top talent. As much as I love to praise him and whatnot, it is still the preseason. Now, granted, you guys will hear me say this all the time. You can't control who you line up across um, from. And at the end of the day, he's only allowed three receptions on six targets for 12 yards. So he's doing his job for what he's been asked to do. It's just a matter of can we see this guy do it against some of the elite slot receivers in the NFL. Mark John and I were talking about it on tape, don't lie. Week two is going to be a big test for him when he goes up against someone like Juju Smith-Schuster, who's really good in the slot. But for right now, I think you've got to give it up to this guy. And I think if you're the Raiders, again, obviously they're kind of their hand is forced a little bit with loss of suspension. But I think regardless, this guy is your starter in the slot. You got to see what he's going to do. He's done everything you asked him so far. So far. So I think you have to continue to throw him out in the fire and see what he's got. The other Raiders DB that I'm going to single out is going to be Dallin Levitt. And this is going to be on the opposite end of the spectrum. Now Levitt last week, he had a missed tackle that led to the Seahawks only touchdown. This week, there was a boot rollout on fourth down where he lost containment on the edge and the Rams ended up picking up the first down. And then I believe it was the same drive, but he gets targeted and he gives up a touchdown that brought the game within one point. Then on the two point conversion, he gets targeted again. And really the only reason why the Raiders didn't lose the game is because Bryce Perkins threw another inaccurate pass, a better ball, and that's a completion. And we're talking about a different end result for the silver and black. And Levitt gets up celebrating. I'm like, bro, you're a veteran. It's the fourth quarter in the preseason and you're still out there and you just gave up a touchdown that almost cost him the game. And let's be honest, you got beat on this route too. And now you're up here celebrating. And I get it. He's a special teamer, but I don't know. To me, he just seems replaceable. And I kind of look at this roster. I was surprised when they brought him even back. I didn't think he would be back on the team, but I guess, you know, maybe he does more on special teams than I realize. but I don't know. With how thin the Raiders are at safety, I think they're going to have to rely on him to play an actual position beyond special teams. And I just can't help but think that maybe there's somebody else better out there. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see what happens on the waiver wire over the next couple of weeks. But I'll be honest, I don't quite get it anymore. But hey, hopefully it proves me wrong. All right, I'm going to take a step back here for a second and talk about the Raiders defensive backfield as a whole and talk about something that's a little concerning for me, eh? And that's, you know, Gus Bradley's, you know, bend but don't break philosophy. You know, I think this defensive philosophy is going to be a little bit more similar than a lot of people realize to Ken Norton's um, defense that they ran in 2016. Ken Norton was obviously a disciple of the Seahawks, you know, kind of came from that Legion of Bloom era, which Gus Bradley started. But obviously, no, I'm not trying to say that they're going to be the same exact system. You know, having the head of that that group is really better than having the one of the offspring because... You know, he can make more adjustments and whatnot, which is, I think is where Ken Norton struggled is didn't quite have the full grasp of the defense, didn't have the full knowledge and whatnot. But if you remember about that 2016 defense, they weren't a great defense overall, which is, I kind of think where the Raiders are headed, where, you know, they're going to give up a lot of yards, but the biggest different difference is going to be that they're able to get those turnovers. And that's one area that that 2016 defense really excelled. And that I'm a little bit worried about with the Raiders secondary. You know, they're not a they're not a huge turnover team. You know, I was talking about it with Nevin Lawson. Hopefully Nate Hobbs changed that. But even a guy like Trayvon Mullen has kind of been known to as more of a coverage guy and less of a interceptions guy. You know, there's been times where he's dropped quite a few picks. And I'm a little concerned about it. I felt like we saw a little bit of the issue against the Rams. You know, it seemed like the Rams could kind of dink and dunk their way down the field. Now, like I said a little bit ago is, you know, Mark John, I think, talked me off the ledge a little bit on this because he did point out that a lot of the 
the teams in the division, you know, they have those gunslingers at quarterback that will hold on to the ball rather than check it down. So I think it's not as concerning as I would have liked, but it is something to keep an eye on to make sure that 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 you know the defensive philosophy matches up with the personnel that they have. I think they're moving in the right direction. Again, you know, we're seeing a guy like Nate Hobbs, that's a new new acquisition, go up and make plays on the ball. Trayvon Mullen, I think, has gotten a lot better with his hands over the years. Casey Hayward, you know, another guy that's gotten a few interceptions in his career, and I think Mary can kind of be like that too, but. It is something that I'm going to be keeping an eye on, especially early in the season. And I still do stand by what I say last week. I think this defensive philosophy is so much better than Paul Gunther's. I feel like we're seeing the defensive back specifically fly around the field faster, you know, not thinking as much. And it had kind of a legion of boom feel to it, I felt like on Saturday. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not trying to compare the Raiders' second string secondary to one of the best secondaries to ever play in the NFL. I'm just saying it kind of had that feel to it where guys were just moving fast. You know, you, I felt like we thought, saw quite a bit of thuds in the secondary from guys in the secondary. And it just seemed like guys were playing a little bit faster, a little bit more physical, and I could get that feel of, you know, the Brandon Browners, the Cam Chancellors, the uh, Richard Shermans, and even, you know, a little bit of uh, a little bit of Earl Thomas back in the day where – I still do like the philosophy overall. It's just if I could point out one thing to keep the balance of to keep myself in check, it would be that propensity to just give up those short passes. But again, you know, if they don't face a whole lot of teams that have that offense philosophy, I think they'll be fine. So we'll see what happens. Moving on to the offensive line. I thought the run blocking went really well, especially early, and I thought it was a lot better than what I saw last week. On that first touchdown drive, I think I even pointed out on Twitter where it looks like the offensive line was getting like two to three yards of push every single play. And I unfortunately had to watch the uh, the Rams broadcast because that was the stream I had just thanks to all the uh, the blackout rules uh, for the of the NFL network and whatnot. But anyway, the Rams broadcast was talking about how the Rams have a lot of depth on the defensive line and how the coaching staff has been praising the uh, their D-line depth. But I thought Las Vegas, I thought the Raiders actually dominated them up front. You know, if that's a a deep group, well, then you should feel pretty damn good about the Raiders' offensive line. Now, things started to change as the games wore on. You know, I think Leatherwood only played about one or two drives. um, And I think same thing with Brandon Parker, who I thought uh, actually looked pretty good as well. So I think you have to feel really good about the guys that are actually going to be playing on Sundays when the games start counting. And I thought Alex Leatherwood had a fantastic game. He did his thing as a run blocker, putting people on the ground. And the thing that I really like to see is he fixed some of the mental mistakes that he had in pass pro the week before, right? I felt like a lot of the times or part of the reason why he didn't have a good game last week was because he had a few mental errors and pass protection, you know, just not picking up the right guy. But I mean, for what I could see, I never really noticed him, which is normally a pretty good sign for an offensive lineman in, in pass protection, right? Normally, if you're hearing, hearing their name called, it's usually not good. So I thought it was a fantastic growth, you know, to be able to see him, you know, make the mistakes in game one and then correct them just a week later. That's exactly what you're looking for out of your rookie right tackle and something that I think you got to be really happy about if you're a fan. Now, on the other side of things, and I don't want to harp on this too much because, you know, I talked about this at length last week, but the Raiders backup offensive tackle situation. It's still ugly. Again, I thought Brandon Parker played well, and I think he can be, you know, a solid or a fine third slash swing tackle in a pinch. You know, he'll play up and down. He'll have his good games and his bad games, but that's really what you're as best as you can expect from a, um, a backup offensive lineman. But other than that, it's gotten pretty ugly. I mean, it's the same guy. Jared Jones Smith was 
awful. I mean, he gave up another sack and another pressure. Patrick Omame was even worse. Gave up four pressures and two sacks. And again, I know he's a 35-year-old guard that's playing tackle, but at some point, you can't keep leaving him out there. Like, I, I think I pointed it out on Twitter again. Like, he's going to get somebody hurt with how slow his feet are. Um, you know, I really think what we're going to end up seeing is the Raiders are going to end up scrounging the waiver wire uh, once cut down day happens and they're going to pick up a, a veteran offensive tackle that's been around for a while that can, you know, at least hold up and pass protection to kind of be that third or fourth tackle for them. You know, who exactly that is or where that might come from, I'll be honest with you. I don't pay enough attention to know what other, what the 31 other teams in the league's tackle situations, backup tackle situations look like to really give you guys an edu- educated guess as to who that could be. Someone had brought up Mitchell Schwartz, which is definitely an interesting prospect. I mean, Mitchell Schwartz has been an all pro for the last few years, but the thing with Schwartz is he's coming off an injury. He's 32 years old. And like I said, he's been an all pro. So I think a player of that caliber, and this is purely speculation by my part. I don't want to, again, you'll hear me say this a few times. I don't want to make it seem like an insider or anything, but if I'm knowing what I know and assessing the situation from a third party perspective, you know, seeing this guy that's been one of the better right tackles in the NFL for the last few years and knowing that he's older and has an injury and he's still available that tells me the medicals are probably pretty ugly. I haven't heard much news from him. I did hear some wind that he might be retiring. Haven't heard anything more on that though. So I'm assuming he'd be available. Maybe he's a guy where if the Raiders are in a pinch, you know, week three or four, they bring him in um, or further down the road, they might bring him in. But I think right now, I think it's worth bringing him in to see what the medicals look like. But I wouldn't hold my breath for somebody like that to sign anytime soon. Let's switch back to the uh, defensive side of the ball and talk about some of the Raiders linebackers for a second here. Now, the first guy that I want to talk about is going to be Javen White. For those of you that don't know me, which is most of the people probably listening to this, I grew up about 30 minutes outside of Oakland. So I always love seeing people from the Bay Area doing big things in anything, really, in sports or in the media. You know, anytime I see somebody that's from the Bay Area and out in the public eye doing things, I take a lot of pride in that. So I'm rooting hard for Javen White, especially even more so since he's a UNLV grad. So the guy was just destined to be a Raider, right? And, you know, last year during during the preseason or during this time of year, I felt like we were hearing quite a bit about Javen White and how his development and how well he was doing in camp, especially as an undrafted free agent. But unfortunately, with COVID canceling the preseason, as fans, we never really got to see that come to life, right? Like, I know he played a little bit in the regular season, but for the most part, we didn't really get to see him play. And this has really been our first exposure, and I thought he had a good first game. And then I thought this second game was excellent. You know, he had a couple pass breakups, one where he was in coverage with the slot receiver, covering the slot and playing in man coverage. And, you know, Ted Wynn on Twitter pointed this out, where they ran a choice route on him, which is a difficult route to cover because... They're basically basing the route off the defender's leverage. So you're at a disadvantage already. It's hard for DBs to cover. And he just goes out there, plays it perfectly, makes a great play on the ball and does an absolutely excellent job from something that we haven't seen from the Raiders linebackers in years, right? I'm sure everyone can remember Tyre Whitehead lining up across from DeAndre Hopkins. And I think we all know how that turned out, right? Now, don't get me wrong. There's a big difference between the eighth receiver on the Rams depth chart and DeAndre Hopkins. Shocking, I know, but to be able to see a linebacker get put in that spot and him thrive in that, 
I feel like that's got to fire you up as a Raider fan. And the other play that I saw him make was actually a fix on a, on a very minor issue that I noticed in him against the Seahawks, right? There was one play where he, he got play action. I thought he played the run and sucked up against the run a little bit too much and was a little late to get back. And the Seahawks were able to dump one over his head on a cover three look and get an easy completion. But this time around, he again gets play action from the Rams. Good call by the Rams. Learned from last week against the Seahawks. He comes up to play the run, fills his run responsibility, but immediately once he realizes it's a pass, he's able to open up his hips and fly back. And he actually played that ball perfectly if he was a DB, right? He wasn't in phase, so he kept his head on the receiver and didn't try and look back and slow himself down to go make a play on the ball. Instead, he just waited for the receiver to put his hands up and then put his own hands up and kind of played through the receiver's hands and ended up getting a PBU. I mean, if you're the linebacker's coach right there, you got to be fired up. That's exactly what you're teaching, and that's teach tape material right there. Hell, if you're the DB's coach, you might be seeing if you can get him in a lower number and seeing what he can do at strong safety at this point. You know, obviously, I think that's going to be a little bit similar to what his role will be on the team if he ends up playing a lot more, kind of that hybrid linebacker safety type because that's what he was in college. He actually covered the slot quite a bit in college, so I think we're starting to see those uh, traits starting to transfer over in the NFL. But unfortunately... His injury left a really sad note on the game for him. You know, when he was down on the ground, it looked like he was in quite a bit of pain. He ended up having to get carried off the field and then and was on the, the cart going back to the locker room with the towel over his head. It looked like he was in tears. So I I genuinely hope he's he's okay for several really reasons. And it was you know, just more of the scare in the moment that was going on and not a serious injury. Because I do think he would have been able to contribute or he will be able to contribute for the Raiders this year if he does stay healthy. So, I mean, hopefully we'll get some good news in the next coming days that it's not serious and it was, you know, he'll be back soon. But definitely uh, definitely a damper on the mood for what was an excellent game for Javen White. The other linebacker I wanted to talk about is going to be Tanner Muse. Now, I wrote an article about him. He's up on Silver and Black Pride. And he's an interesting case because, you know, being a college safety, you'd think he would be good in coverage at the linebacker, and that would kind of be the most natural position to, for him. But on Saturday, it looked like he was struggling to cover some of those drag routes, right? And similar to what I was talking about with White, is it seemed to happen a lot on play action where maybe he's, you know, overplaying the run a little bit, maybe kind of overcompensate, you know, from his system in college where he was a pass first player and now he's just being a little bit too aggressive. So it'll be interesting to see how he kind of continues that dynamic. Talking with Marcus, you know, he wasn't as high on uh, Muse and coverage, but I have been really impressed with what I've seen against him in the run, or at least the growth that he's shown against the run. And I think he's been way better about using his hands. He looks bigger. You know, I was watching him on a press conference the other day, and he looked a lot thicker than he was in college. Um, and he's stronger at the point of the attack. And I think he's doing a better job of getting off blocks. You know, still has room for growth, but. You know, for a guy that this is the first time he's seeing NFL action, you know, I think you have to like what you see from him as a run defender. It's just weird that we need to see more from him in coverage. But I do think he might have found a little bit of a niche, and I noticed it a lot this game and a little bit in the game before, too, as a blitzer. You know, he has nice speed to come off and close on the blitz against the Seahawks. He came off as a free rusher, got his hands up and got a PBU at the line of scrimmage. And this week he showed a nice little coffee house stunt on a mug look from the Raiders where he was able to go off and actually finish with a sack. So I think that can be a decent role for him in, on this defense. It's just a matter of how stiff our hip, hips are and how he can you know, increase that change of direction to help stay in phase and coverage and then use those great ball skills that we know he has. 
Now, moving on to the group as a whole, this was a very, very rough week for the Raiders linebackers. I mentioned the white injury. You know, that's a guy who I think could be a contributor for them this year. Kwiatkowski also went down. Morrow went down in the practice with the Rams. That one apparently looks bad, and he's expected to miss some time. Darren Lee went out. This group is getting thin really quickly, and it's not that deep to start with. Obviously, there have been some rumors about K.J. Wright potentially joining the team. Well, the Raiders at this point, they might have to up their offer because things are getting kind of desperate over there in Raiderland, and it is not looking good at that position. And it sucks because I think they have a lot of talent there, but it's not going to do much if all of them are injured. Moving on to the Raiders' pass rush, which I honestly felt was pretty underwhelming overall, especially to start the game. It seemed like a lot of guys were struggling to win against one-on-one blocks. Then they started working in more line games, and even that really wasn't working. And I felt like Gus Bradley kind of had to dig into his bag of tricks to help get some pressure, you know, just with Muse, you know, showing that coffee house stunt, and that ended up working. But I'm not sure that's the look you want to show at this point, because those are best when you can catch them by surprise, right? The coffee house stunt, the reason why it works is it's an unusual look. You know, you get the linebacker or you get the offensive line to, you know, fall asleep for a second and lose that linebacker. And then he's, you know, able to be a free rusher. So that's really not something you can rely on a lot during the game. And I don't mean to like speak for Gus Bradley, but I can't imagine that's something he really wanted to show at this point in the season. However, I do feel like things started to turn around late in the game, and especially in the fourth quarter. And one of the guys that I think that was a big part of that was Malcolm Kuntz, who, you know, if you guys have paid attention, I've talked a lot about in the last couple of weeks. Now, it was a slow start. It seemed like if he couldn't win with speed or his initial move wasn't working, he was kind of lost and kind of lacked that pass rest plan and didn't know what he could do when he, could win with, when he couldn't win with speed, which is a little bit of what I was talking about last week where it seemed like, You know, he's still trying to get his feet wet, still trying to figure out what can work as a pass rusher. But then, you know, around the third quarter, I noticed he started using a long arm moves and he started to collapse the pocket. Then a little bit later, he started to work more counter moves and started showing off more of a pass rush move, which led to some pressure. And then finally, I thought he ended up finishing up on the game on a real high note, getting in some pressure. I want to say, I can't remember specifically if he had a sack that maybe got called back by a penalty, but he was at least getting to the quarterback a lot more. And I thought he ended up finishing the game on a real high note. He started getting more pressure late in the game and it looked like things started to click for him, right? Like what I'm talking about, where it felt more natural. And I think that's something that he can continue to build on or good momentum for him to build on as we head closer to the regular season. The other pass rusher I wanted to talk about for a little bit was Darius Fallon. I'll be honest, I was a little disappointed with his performance. I listed Fallon as a player to watch, and I thought he had a really good matchup against the Rams this week. But he was rather quiet, and he actually got outperformed by Kendall Vickers. Now, Fallon did end up with one pressure, which was a nice QB hit, but he seemed to struggle to win most of the time. Of course, he still has the week one performance to hang his hat on, but I think he's got something to prove heading into preseason game number three against San Francisco. And I think he's probably got a little bit more to prove after a rather lackluster performance in Los Angeles this weekend. All right, we'll wrap things up with me taking a little bit of egg on my face. Last week, I talked about Marcel Aitman, and I basically called him a dead man walking, right? Well, this week against the Rams, he comes out and he shuts me up. He made a nice snag in traffic and early on in the game. And then he runs a beautiful slugout route to score the game-winning touchdown. 
And the thing that I really took away from that play more than anything were his teammates celebrating with him, right? I saw Derek Carr, Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, you know, all kind of sprinting down the sideline to go meet him in the end zone and go celebrate with him. And you could tell like a lot of guys or a lot of vets really like him and were really rooting for him to do well and pulling for him. And I get it. You know, he's probably been in the organization for, I think, about three years now, putting the work in and hasn't quite had it work out the way he wanted to. So it is good to see someone like that go out and have an impressive performance where, you know, now the coaches have to think twice a little bit when they go out and make the 53-man roster. I think Aitman probably still might not have a role in this team. You know, I don't know what the uh, the final roster is going to look like, but I have a feeling he'll still be on the outside. But even if it doesn't work out in Vegas, at least he's put on some a few good plays on tape where hopefully he can find a spot somewhere else and make some other SB Nation writer look stupid. Now, this week... The guy that I'm hoping to jinx or reverse jinx or whatever is going to be Keelan Doss. Maybe we'll turn this into a segment where I just talk smack about a guy and hope that he ends up performing well in the game. You know, we'll, we'll uh, use I'll be their sacrificial lamb where I'll just, you know, for you guys, for you guys, the fans and for the Raiders, I'll be wrong and I'll take the bad take. Right. That's that's how generous I am. But anyway. Keelan Doss, you know, it's the same thing as Javen White for me, another hometown guy that I'm rooting for. And I've really wanted it to work out for him with the Raiders, but it just hasn't. You know, we've we've seen him playing games and he's, you know, dropped balls left and right. I think the play that kind of sticks in a lot of people's minds with uh, when it comes to Keelan Doss is going to be the last game in the Collie where he covered Aitman's eyes on the Hail Mary. And obviously the Raiders ended up losing that game. And then on Saturday, he had a back shoulder throw that was perfect that was far from perfectly placed you know it was on the wrong shoulder but it hit him straight in the chest and ended up being a pick and then later in the game the Raiders tried to run a crack toss to his side and he just couldn't get the block down and it ended up being a TFL for the Rams and that just makes for a rough night now I really again I really hope things turn around for him because he's a guy that I'm rooting for but like Aitman and probably a couple of other guys I mentioned today it's probably going to take one hell of a performance against San Francisco for Keelan Doss to stick around all right, that'll wrap things up for today. Make sure to follow us over in Black Pride on Twitter if you aren't already. And make sure to follow myself at mholder95 on Twitter as well. I'll be back on Friday with a show to recap the news of the week. But until then, talk to you guys later.